Hello, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Stephen Fullwood. Stephen, how are you? I'm actually pretty good. Thank you for asking. That's good to hear. Uh, today, we're going to talk about what is an, what is a free society's commitment or tolerance to a level of violence. And by that, I mean, and, and what we're going to be talking about is getting so many different kinds of people together in the same space uh, with so many different uh, cultures and peoples and traditions. Clashes are inevitable in a, in a heterogeneous society like that. What level of violence do we have to tolerate, accept, make room for in order to uh, maximize the liberty that we might want people to enjoy in that society. Obviously, the conversation is inspired by the school shooting this past week in Florida. Uh, I don't know that we're going to talk about that specifically. There's a lot of people talking about that. But we were going to try and um, take the conversation to a different level and sort of think about the principles uh, that underlie something like that. So we're going to jump right in, and I, I know Stephen has uh, some stuff to say about that, and, and uh, we'll begin our conversation. So when you first proposed we talk about this topic, I think what what incur- what threw me for a loop was that there's so many kinds of violence. You know, so there are the power dynamics, there's sexual violence, there's violence in our education, whether it's actually in the school or whether it's a part of the education process in terms of what you leave in and what you take out. There's violence in the workplace, literally. And then there's also um, 24-7 violence in our entertainment and our news sources. And all these Mm -hmm. things are sort of informed by race and racism, gender, sexuality, and most potently, I think, economics. And so Mm -hmm. how much should a free (laughs) um, heterogeneous society tolerate when it comes to violence, it's like, it was so hard to parse and to pull apart this question. And I'm still thinking about it. So I want to ask you a little bit about what you mean. Could you tell me a little bit more about your take on this? And then maybe I can kind of come in because I felt like we have a very schizophrenic society where we do the thing where using school shootings as an example, we'll, we'll talk Mm -hmm. about how terrible guns are and how easy it is to get a gun. Um, There are thoughts and prayers there's sometimes some kind of national action, but it really doesn't stick. And then there's a quiet period and then it happens again. So there's this loop. And so right now, actually, I'm in the loop and I kind of need some help to kind of think this through. Yeah. You know, it's funny. But you are, you've already uh, added an element to it that I, I've certainly considered previously, but wasn't immediately thinking about because of just the pow- the power and the the drama of what is going on uh, now, just, I mean, with mass shootings and particularly in the last, you know, decade, five years, obviously they seem to be intensifying. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the level of symbolic violence um, that exists in American culture, uh, I didn't immediately think about when I asked you that question, but of course that has to be on the table, right? I mean, and I almost, you know, I know I'm f- I'm somewhat familiar with the research that that shows that uh, exposure to violence in media, whether it be video games, uh, movies, television, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least the research I'm aware of, and you know this is probably a few years old now. Okay, uh, but it, it it doesn't show a strong connection of uh, between exposure to violence in media and the commission of violent acts. But what right. it does show is a correlation uh, between 
sensitivity to absolutely. violence. Absolutely. Like, na- namely being desensitized mm-hmm. to it. So, you know, these images of, of, of bodies that, uh, that, uh, of, of wounded, murdered, mm-hmm. brutalized bodies, mm-hmm. uh, we become, become familiar to us. I have to say, I, even though, so I, I, you know, I have no reason to question that research intuitively, that makes a kind of sense to me. Okay. That being said, uh, I remember I, I didn't read the article, but I did see the headline. It was on Vox, I think, and basically saying that what we need to do is de um, sort of resensitize okay. our awareness of violence by releasing photographs of the inside of those classrooms with those dead kids mm. and and actually in, in the way that we did in the Vietnam War. Um, okay. And and I know in the way that um, I know the image of Trayvon Martin was really powerful, you know, the sort of, I don't remember, I mean, obviously I know you're super familiar with it, but the, there was one particular image that didn't make its way through mainstream media, but kind of on that sort of second tier of media okay. of like his kind of um, atrophied body and how mm-hmm. Just sort of thin and young, and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. just—I mean—it really brought the power of that tragedy to home. I mean, to me at least, right? Seeing this other body affected mm-hmm. in that way, and so I—I I wonder if, right? So if that research is true, I wonder if Americans saw those kids, those. Mm-hmm shot through the forehead, shot in the chest, shot in the gut, mm-hmm. wounded, murdered children, teachers. I wonder if that wouldn't break through some of the nonsense around this debate. So I'm skeptical that we are totally desensitized to violence. I mm-hmm. Part of me wants to say that in reality, um, exposure, naked exposure to that kind of violence Mm -hmm. uh, is something that you could maybe never become desensitized to. Wow, that's... So when you initially started with that premise that the idea of actually showing the effects of violence, I must admit, I was like, well, it's... is Is a... An actual body any different from a body you see on television or a body... Uh, the uh, um, in the digital universe, of course there is. There are differences. There's one that's actually in your face, and then there's, you know, there's a um, the the outcrying of the parents and the community about this violence, about what is done to their family, how it's gutted their families, and mm-hmm. but I feel like, and maybe, and I'm glad that you're you're critical of it, and maybe even suspicious of it about whether or not we actually are desensitized to it. I feel like violence has permeated my being through and through. I don't play, I don't play video games. <laughs> um, I don't watch horror films that are very gory. I'm more of a mm-hmm. theater of the mind kind of guy. But mm-hmm. I listen to, and I have been privy to watching people play games or watch horror movies or explain away a certain kind of violence till it happens to them. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I haven't been on the um, either. Can you give Can you give a specific example? specific example give me tell me precisely what i said <laughs> meaning like meaning that they're that they're okay with a particular kind of violence until it's happened to them well they can explain it away this person shouldn't have been in this place at this time or else she or she wouldn't she should have been wearing that um 
wow, that's just the way of the world, you know, well, I won't be going over there. You know, there's sometimes there's um, a weird kind of, not even levity, but just sort of like um, a dismissal of it. Because Mm -hmm. I think the enormity of it is too heavy. Mm -hmm. And I also feel like when I'm listening to the sort of explain away the police violence against the black community is people start Mm -hmm. to expect it. I mean, mm-hmm. not start to expect it. We've expected it in our lives. I was told when I was younger to not go here, not go there, don't do, mm-hmm. don't do that, um, along with a number of other things, <laughs> living in a racialized society. Mm-hmm. And violence makes me sick. It makes me physically mm-hmm. sick. Um, and I don't know why it doesn't make other people sick. And so I've witnessed it. I've watched it. And and yeah. don't get me wrong, I don't want to um, make it sound like I didn't grow up with Looney Tunes or horror movies and watch people sure. stab each other. I had that too, but it's not entertainment for me. Mm-hmm. And so when people say they just want to sit back and relax from the days, you know, the workload or what have you, and then they turn on the news and the news is showing a, a, the aftermath of a police, you know, something happened. Someone was shot. Someone was here. The police are around. Mm-hmm. They see the flashing lights. Like, the desensitization, I'm sure that has something to do with it, but I also mm-hmm. feel like it's going somewhere else in our body. Like we, we've we come to expect as a culture, and I, mm-hmm. I told myself at the beginning of the podcast I was not going to do any grand generalizations, but I can't <laughs> seem to help it. But there's some... Please, generalize away. <laughs> there's something about the, the, the culture that produces... Like there's so much more access to media now than it ever has been. I mean, you can walk mm-hmm. around with your phone on watching videos and, and so forth. I mean, there's just so many things that are sort of, I don't know if this is the right word. I won't even use it. I'll just say that masquerading as violent, I mean, masquerading as entertainment, that mm-hmm. troubles me because I think it does do something. And sure, there may not be a cause and effect. I watch it. I go kill somebody. I watch it. I watch people get killed, you know, and mm-hmm. it's okay. But there's something about the the levels of, and not the levels, the amount, the sheer amount of what you can watch and watch someone be mangled. Mm-hmm. And what do you do with that? The Saw movies, the, mm-hmm. I'm 52 and I feel like, <laughs> I mean, I had a, re, a reaction to it. I was like, oh, I'm getting older. No, I've always felt this way. I, was, I just really mm-hmm. hated violence. I hated fighting. I hated watching people fight. It didn't make mm-hmm. me feel good. It made me feel sad. It made me feel upset. And there's a friend of mine who at one point could not stop watching videos on YouTube of people fighting. Mm -hmm. And he was just fascinated. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I find that. So I don't, I probably, um, I don't, seeing it in the remove, so in media, video games, whatever, Mm -hmm. I don't have the same sensitivity to violence that you're describing i don't okay it doesn't um you know a well choreographed fight scene i might find thrilling like you know so the matrix or something like that something okay. you can, there's a kind of degree of artistry involved in it i don't okay you know it, it doesn't it doesn't move me uh at least that i can detect to watch people just you know beating the hell out of each other mm-hmm. in in real life to see violence which you mm-hmm. know i i grew up in a neighborhood where it was not uncommon to see fights. I don't mean they happened like, you know, once or twice a year. I mean, they happened every week, you know, not Mm -hmm. every day or anything like that. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and so it, that was not, 
ever fun for me to watch. I, I never, you know, like when in, you know, and you're in the schoolyard and all the kids get around, you know, the fight right. that's going on. I don't know if this is how it was for you, but, you know, and you just, you see these t- two kids going at each other. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I always hated that. I never, mm-hmm. there was nothing that, I was never like one of the kids cheering. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I was in the middle in a fight, you know, you, <laughs> I, I, I definitely was not enjoying myself, you know? Yes. So, uh, so, you know, I, it's, for me, the there is a separation. I'm not saying that there is for everyone. And I, you had said something earlier. You made a comment earlier, which uh, you didn't follow it, but I okay. want to ask you about it because sure. mm-hmm. I, I think there's something to that. You had said, you know, seeing that violence might go somewhere in the body, right? That it, right, it, right. It registers on the just let's use like kind of a, a commonplace description of it, so like at a gut level, it goes somewhere. Mm-hmm. It lives somewhere inside of you. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty open to those arguments. I'm pretty open to the fact that our bodies process the world. Mm-hmm. in a way that that our conscious mind does not necessarily have access to. Oh yeah. Um and so I don't know what do you where did you have a thought about where you were going with that the idea of like sort of just like what it means for bodies to be watching other bodies commit these kind of acts. Well, I I remember getting really becoming really impatient with the word resilient. How this children are so mm. resilient, you know, as if you know, they were wearing Grit, things like that. Right. And I was like, well, no, they're not resilient. I feel like that they're sponges. I feel like we are constantly soaking up things. Now, the, obviously, I have no scientific data available to me on that, but I felt like I was watching. You don't need scientific data for that. Of course. Oh, right. I'm an American. I can talk right. about anything yeah. I feel like. Of course. I'm yeah. a doctor. I'm an astrologer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm all these things. But I don't mean that. I mean, that's just like baseline human experience. Of course, you're right. Of course, kids absorb things like that. And so. When you're so earlier, the whole idea that your body absorbs things, I think about when we we talk about food, I think that we're constantly taking things in Mm -hmm. and that maybe our brains are more of an attenuator rather than um, rather than the Mm -hmm. thing that just pulls things in right so we're like pulling things in and we're processing this is william james's ar- you're in good company william james has an argument has this argument that essentially consciousness is a filter this attenuation thing i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt oh, i was just okay. saying you're, you're in good company <laughs> and so that i guess because i would watch like because i'm 52 and so i've i've seen and thought about the effects for example that growing up in a household where my father was abusive to my mom and you know Physically? emotionally Physically, and then emotionally abusive as well. So physically and emotionally, which also, I mean, it affected us as children. And -hmm, there are times when I've talked with my sisters and brothers about what happened, and everyone has a slightly different take on it. So together we might have some version of the truth, but we all felt Mm -hmm. it differently. So I was like, well, I'll never do that. I'll never do these things. And as I grew Mm -hmm. older, I noticed that. So when I became a godfather, basically um, a parent, then I started thinking about, how I grew up and what I expected, what I expected from kids versus mm-hmm. <laughs> um, learning when I was a kid and what I was feeling. So I had to mm-hmm. move some things around in my brain about mm-hmm. needs. You know, kids were not simply there to be seen and not heard. They had desires, and and it took. When I was a kid, I remember feeling very, um, 
very upset that adults at times didn't take me seriously. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know, or they didn't think that I was um, worthy of their time to talk to because they were busy with other kids or that they were just busy being adults and doing other things. Mm-hmm. And so I started talking to my kid more about that and I gave him a lot more space or I gave him the space I think he deserved as a kid. Mm-hmm. was to have his own thoughts. And so you can have these thoughts, but here, this is what you're going to do. And this is the reason why we're doing this. Because we want you safe. We want you to eat your food so that you can grow older and healthy. We want you to get mm-hmm. enough sleep so that you can focus in school. And so mm-hmm. I started to become a lot more of an explainer. I think my dad came out of the rural South. He was a Jim Crow. Um, he lived during Jim Crow. And men and women did this. And <laughs> they had tried to avoid you know, being killed by whites. Or being, Mm -hmm. you know, victims of racism. And so Mm -hmm. I think there is, when I talk about the the emotional toll that violence has on people, thinking that you're never safe or that you're Mm -hmm. always being um, watched or being um, evaluated by a really ridiculous standard, then Mm -hmm. I think those things resonate and they do something to the body and they make maybe people drink more or make people more more or less... um, unsympathetic to other people's plights you know Mm -hmm. i just got to live you know i got to get my gun you know Mm -hmm. after these shootings happen typically gun sales go up Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know people are worried about their. you know is it the second amendment (laughs) always goof it up the right to bear arms yeah it's it's a second (laughs) it's the people um thinking feeling unsafe after something like this has happened but then there Mm -hmm. is that sort of high period and then the vibration goes lower and the frequency is a lot longer and then mm-hmm. it happens again. And I'm like, the shock of it happening, it doesn't shock me anymore. It hasn't mm-hmm. shocked me for quite some time. I'm depressed by it. It makes me feel definitely, I would say, helpless at times. It makes me feel helpless. Yeah. And it also makes me wonder. I thought earlier, I was like, what could, what would we do? have to do to live in a society that re- has reduced its, its, um, its level of violence? You know, mm-hmm. ban guns. Um, Mm -hmm. teach different things in schools, Um, you know, really work with the police to protect the citizens rather than shoot them. Like what, what kinds of things do we need to do? But I do think it's possible to live without violence. I do. I'm just not sure how to do it with this mind and with these eyes and with this, this brain, you know? Right. So we sort of, we drifted at, which I I appreciate. We actually drifted back from symbolic to actual violence, right? And sort of where, where that kind of, how that violence lives inside of us. Mm -hmm. And I thought I had two, two thoughts in relation to that. One, when you Mm -hmm. were describing your, your dad's background. So my, my father uh, also, so he grew up in the South in Arkansas and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, his father was just a, uh, just an asshole. I mean, just a, a piece of shit. And, yeah. Like was very abusive. Um, and uh, my dad uh, left home when he was like 17 to join the military mm. um, and go to Vietnam. Okay. Intentionally to just like get away from his home. Right. And, um, you know, he said he got in a, uh, an actual fist fight with his father the day that he left. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, you know, the thing he promised himself when he left was that he would never treat his son the way that he right. was treated. Mm-hmm. And my dad never did. My mm-hmm. my dad, ne- not my mom, w- would occasionally, you know, she she did not feel the same conviction to not raise a hand. Oh, okay. to me, but, <laughs> okay. But uh, but man, it's made her her German blood. But uh, but my my dad never did. But okay. I could see when I got older, um, I could see that violence lived in my dad's body, and okay. he would have these moments of just 
I mean, barely contained rage mm-hmm. at me. You know, when I was, I was, you know, as an asshole as most 14-year-old boys are, you mm-hmm. know, they're difficult to get, you know, headstrong and think they know shit they don't. I thought I knew all this stuff I didn't know anything about. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, that's difficult to parent. And I, you know, having had a, a, a teenage son that's now an adult, I empathize with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But my dad, you know, when we would have these arguments, fights, I don't mean physical fights, but, you know, these kind of like really fraught emotional encounters. Mm-hmm. And I would see like physical uh, like the physical desire to lash out at me just like in my dad's body i could see it in him Mm -hmm. i could see it in his doubled up fists okay i could see it in his like crouch i could see like but he never did never not once not once i mean Mm -hmm. he held that and what did that do to my dad like how many i mean yeah how many years did that take as that is that going to take off my dad's life like how right Mm -hmm. like how many sleepless nights, you know, what has that done to his back, to his heart? You know, I mean, I, that, that stuff doesn't go away. And so I I thought about that and then I thought, well, where does that, so if we just make one symbolic move over Mm -hmm. and we think about the body politic of America Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and where does this violence go? What, what is this doing to to the American body, if we can think of ourselves as one people, even though I know that is very difficult to do in the 21st century in 2018, mm-hmm. the, the the constant reminder that we hold one sacred right, and I mean right in the double sense of the word, mm-hmm. right as an R-I-T-E, a mm-hmm. religious right, and right as in a legal right, R-I-G-H-T. Mm-hmm. The Second Amendment, the right to keep unfettered or nearly unfettered access <sighs> to yeah. weapons mm-hmm. of murder. These are weapons of murder. These are not weapons of self-defense. An no. AR-15 is not a weapon of self-defense. So an AR-15 is a weapon of – it's a murder weapon. Exactly. And and what does that – what are we saying to ourselves as a people – that we will permit these weapons because it's not a mystery what why there are more gun deaths in America. No. They've controlled for all of the variables. It's the number of guns straight up. There are too many of them. Uh, there there are too many guns and too many I mean too many guns for for as many people as we have. That's the variable. Mm-hmm. Now I I happen to be sympathetic to the suspicion of government. If you look at the history of the world, mm-hmm. governments are not trustworthy. I mean, as a black American, I can't imagine why your ass would trust the government. Like, as, it's not. And I would say as you, as a white American, I can't understand why you would either. Because it depends. It's your level of clarity and understanding. It's kind of what you said sure. earlier. I mean, so for me, obviously, there's a racial dynamic here, but there's also a conscious decision that I think people make who are Caucasian to who say, who think that the government is in on their side when it's really largely about money. I mean, yeah. because we're seeing it in the South and we're seeing with dispossessed whites who don't mm-hmm. have money, who joined the alt-right, who joined the KKK, who joined these groups who feel very much left out of the American dream. You know, yeah, so that's a very, very good, that's a very good thing. But 
distrusting the government is really important here. I want, I want to say something about this where does this violence go thing because I think it's a yeah, really please, good question please. to kind yeah. of think about. And I have some thoughts about it. And I think, I think on the one hand, we don't have enough rituals to to rid ourselves of this rage that you were talking about earlier. Um, and it's a lot of rage. It's rage mm-hmm. at injustice. It's a rage at working insane hours to make a little bit of money to feed mm-hmm. your kids or to yourself. Mm-hmm. It's a rage at feeling alienated. There's mm-hmm. a rage at, I should have had this by this age and I don't have it. It's a rage mm-hmm. of being born outside of a particular... Um, not just racial dynamic, but a um, a good looking or a lookist, <laughs> you know, way I should mm-hmm, look like absolutely. this. And you know, aesthetic, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, there's a yeah. rage there. And so on the one hand, I think that the ritual, the shootings are almost like a relief. They're almost like, uh, mm. for both the person per- per- perpetrating it and for the people who kind of, and I haven't really worked it out, it's still something that's twirling in my mm. head about, mm something happening like something breaking something mm-hmm. so maybe as the body politic as the the u.s specifically when we talk about violence i go back to my first point which is there's nothing to exercise it so the exercise is shooting the exercise is violence watching violence mm-hmm. as opposed to maybe doing violence and mm-hmm. i've heard these arguments before as well and so i'm ex- i'm i'm still working it out but can you imagine what it would feel like or, or be like because I feel like the U.S. has rituals in terms of its um, holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, it has its rituals and it has no, um, what do you call it, uh, rites of passage for its girls and its boys. Mm-hmm. They just become, right? <laughs> it um, used to be high school. So they, they're used to, mm-hmm. I, know that, I know that in uh, like you know, early 20th century America, mm-hmm. um, your dress was literally different between like middle school and high school. Like when you would stop ah. wearing shorts and start wearing pants. We had, we, now, I mean, this is a very, it's a very white aspect. I mean, so it, clearly there was a racial component to it. But I think um, that was true for some um, well to do, well healed black people uh, as well. Of, co- of course. And also was, people yeah. who are black. Middle class aspirational. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, but there was a dominant, I mean, this is one of the, you know, I mean, because you have to look at the pro social aspects of it too. This is one of mm-hmm. the pro social aspects of a clearly defined dominant culture, right? Yes. So, it, it's easier to keep those rituals that you're talking about it, when mm-hmm. you have a clearly defined, uh, a clearly defined dominant culture. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that, that, that dominant culture justly was was and is being dismantled like there's no there's no downside to the the deconstruction of that dominant culture except the co- the cost of a coherent cohesive society like you're talking mm. about right so where do we go? i mean i know for mm-hmm. when i when i grow and this may not be the case for you but for me when i was growing up um you know when i was in my teens and 20s football was a pretty, you know, like Super Bowl Sunday, this kind of thing. Football was very much sort of an across the board from working class to middle class to upper class. Like you Mm -hmm. definitely had kind of a cohesive engagement with something like, in my mind, at least in my memory, football, even more so than baseball. I know that's the American pastime. You know, basketball has become ascendant now. And I think there's Mm -hmm. a lot of positive things around that. But but leaving sport aside, okay, and you know a handful of holidays that you mentioned, yeah. So you got Thanksgiving, yeah, I mean, sort of Christmas, kind of, right. Uh, but I think you know, I think you're onto something. I mean, in a really, it's dark, but that yeah, that there is some kind of emotional 
valve that mm-hmm. get just a little air gets let out when these terrible mm-hmm. things happen. I mean, because they're often linked up to other things. If, you know, gun violence, well, the government, the government um, is not doing what it needs to do to protect its citizens. And there are all these sort of, you know, think pieces and people talking heads. And and for a while, it almost feels like I'm sure some some very smart person um, well, quite a few people have already linked this up and they've taken the last four or five shootings and they've said this they're just mapping on the responses and they're all the same. Mm-hmm. And there's something mm-hmm. that I find, I'm not sure how to think about it, honestly, because the rituals that people do in their personal lives or maybe with their family, maybe yoga or some kind of healthy thing, it needs, mm-hmm. I don't think that we do things in community as much as say maybe some indigenous societies or other, or maybe even other places right now on um, on the planet, but the U.S. is very big on um, claiming it's the best at everything, mm-hmm. and turns a blind eye to so many things that yeah. have never worked, have never worked, have never been good. I was speaking with, um, I, I kind of want to go back to um, rituals though before I lose my mind because I saw myself kind of moving in a different direction. But you can move in a different direction. Well. The ritual thing is exciting to me to talk about because I think mm-hmm. how do we um, how do we arrest that? How do we arrest? Because if, when you were talking about this, my brain went. I really don't think that we care about our kids. We're not really educating them all that well. We let mm-hmm. we feed them a lot of different things. Up until the you know the mid twentieth century, they were working in coal mines. Um, <laughs> that's, you know, right, that's right. Do you know? And then I remember being. So as a kid, I remember feeling a different shift. There was a shift, and I grew up in, 19, I was born in 1966, but in the 70s, it was right after, you know, uh, um, the Vietnam War, or the Vietnam War was still going on up until um, a point, but the assassinations, the Black Panther, Black um, Black Arts Movement, the gay and lesbian movement, the women's movement, these weren't things that were generally known to me. I didn't know the specifics of them, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I remember feeling there was this this notion of unsafeness and of unsettling and so mm-hmm. remember the uh, i was remember being towards the end of the 70s um that was the the um uh jim jones you know the tragedy in guyana there was a big report on that and then they were killing mm-hmm. black children in atlanta and mm-hmm. so these things and don't get in you know then we're being called in more our parents were mm-hmm. calling us in more and earlier we had to be at a certain place at a certain time mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that fear was palpable but I, but I remember not getting any. Uh, I told you earlier that we're telling us where to be and what to do and all of that. Mm-hmm. But there, um, the rituals were largely confined to holidays and birthdays, mm-hmm. and um, you know, sports pastimes and whatnot, um, and national tragedies. And so mm-hmm. <laughs> these were sort of and the national tragedies in the sense that then I started to pay more attention. That's when I started to become a little more thoughtful about the news rather than mm-hmm. just be something my parents wanted to watch. It was, there were things happening in the world. Mm-hmm. The rituals for, for a healthy society, I think there needs to be a great deal of communication. And there's, although we have a lot of communication going on, I'm not sure if we're listening and we're not really taking it in the heart about how we have to change and transform ourselves to achieve the society that's yeah. largely mouthing. We're just mouthing the words. What about the? Ch- I remember at one point, in fact, this on the symptoms was like, "Will someone think of the children?" I don't think we think about children. I don't. Yeah. 
overall. I think that we pay lip service because we wouldn't be these kids would be safe, and it's not about arming the arming the teachers. <laughs> I know, I know. It's just that's just not. We don't even have to tell you. That's just a nonsense statement. It, it, that it, is a nonsense non statement. It's nonsense, but it but it's the language in which people live. And imagining, and that's kind of what I want to get at too. It's like if you can't imagine a non-violent society, or definitely a significantly reduced violent society, mm -hmm. these are the tools that you have, and this is how you come out your mouth, you know. Yeah. And the NRA, I mean, if we really want to do something, it's not the NRA; it's the manufacturers. The NRA right. has made its position. It will lip service. I'm sorry about this tragedy. If it hurt anybody, I'm really sorry. Da, da, da. And they're going to keep selling guns. I mean, not mm. them, but they're going to advocate for that. And so that's a pretty that's a pretty strong lobby, you know. So I it is. I so I think it you're sort of you're steering things in in one of the other uh, you know questions I had sent to you to to sort of mm -hmm. where I think as a society, uh, as a culture, as a people. Uh, we're really woolly headed on both sides right now mm -hmm. about, yeah. about how to how to to think about something like this. One to just kind of put a cap on what you what you had said. Mm -hmm. To I I entirely agree with the the observation about ritual, and I I think a certain segment of the country is literally saying to the rest of it, these sacrifices are worth our sacred right to keep and bear arms. Oh, absolutely. I think, I think, I think that is, that is, that, that's not necessarily what they are saying, but they, but what is just below the surface is they are saying these kids, these people mm -hmm. at concerts, these mm -hmm. office workers, these deaths are, are worth it for us to be able to keep access to the weapon, to, to the murder weapons and the weapons of war that we desire. Mm -hmm. So I, I said earlier, I, you know, my dad's from the South. Like I grew up around guns. I'm not like, I'm, I'm pretty open to the idea that, that a, a citizenry should have some access to weapons of, of defense. Like mm -hmm. I, you can, you can get me like into that argument in a productive way. Okay. Where I think, on the left, right, which is where I would probably find myself on, on a lot of arguments, though not all, but mm -hmm. where I, I feel like there's kind of an incoherency and, and not a really serious conversation around it is on one hand, you will get these very aggressive knee-jerk reactions against the state monopoly on violence, the cops, you know, the military, mm -hmm, um, mm. you know, the policing methods in minority communities or high crime areas, you know, fuck the police, this kind of thing. And mm. at the same time, you want the same institutional bodies, they, not you, it's not directed to you, they want the same institutional bodies to police the acquisition of weapons. So th there's there's a deep distrust of police forces on one hand. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, there is a fervent desire for those mm -hmm. police forces to exercise their monopoly on violence, to take weapons away from other communities. And I feel like there's a schizo that that the left has a schizophrenic relationship with mm -hmm. authority and power. So that's an interesting thing. And so I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but there is there was a time in the 90s where a lot of gangs were coming into prominence in some of the larger cities. Mm -hmm. And the, and those mayors who happened to be black were mm -hmm. asking the police for 
more um, more rigorous policing in those communities to protect the citizens. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure um, in the different gradations, obviously, of the left and the right. And so what I what I wanted to point out was that right now those black mayors are being being um, scapegoated for asking for the police to do what they're supposed to yeah. do. Yeah. So I right. don't think it's that they are um, that there is a schizo. There is there's accountability, and then there is we want to be safe too. And I've lived I'm living in Harlem since 2000, and I've noticed mm-hmm. that the police presence sort of was amped up around the time that whites more moved into the neighborhood en masse. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so kids were being harassed. Um, in fact, we'd stopped some police. My three friends of mine and I, we, were stop- we asked the police what was going on because we saw some kids being pulled into paddy wagons. Mm. Some of the police officers yelled back at us and told us, if we don't shut up, then they're going to arrest these kids. And we were like, what the fuck is going on? What are they talking mm-hmm. about? Mm-hmm. Gradually... It, it settled down. They took this kid away and we were like, why can't you call his parents? Why can't, you know, find some way not to put mm-hmm. him in the system, you mm-hmm. know? And so there were two police officers that had some measure of their head, but they were still blue. And they were like, well, you know, it's just a high crime area. And I'm like, dude, I walk over here all the time. I've never felt unsafe. Mm-hmm. What are we actually mm-hmm. talking about here? So this there, would be this, the broken windows theory of policing at that point. I mean, oh, so that's absolutely. kind of that idea in action, right? Yeah, Absolutely. And then there's also um, just flat out bias and mm-hmm. and so when people see that we're not asking the police to come in and kill us we're asking them to come and protect <laughs> us and this right. is the conflation of the two because what they're saying is because i think the okay i won't even go to the place i'm just going to stay with the what you said earlier and so when i think about what the right what folks are saying we have the right to bear arms is because they don't feel safe because mm-hmm. the government is not going to save them. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they know this. And so I think just below the surface, to use one of your phrases, they are they feel like they will be safer with the gun. And I think it's actually the actual opposite. If you have a gun, oh, it's we I know think it's it makes the opposite. You, right. Statistically, and, and it's so, bad for you. <laughs> so we're it's, yeah, it's not a good thing to um, consume. But there's something about the way we even measure masculinity around guns mm. and the way we measure mm. our um, importance. You know, you can, if you have a gun, I mean, it was funny to watch in a sort of weird way, mm-hmm. um, Zimmerman, George Zimmerman, sure, the way he's, sure, sure, the sure. aftermath, this man was very like cocky and just, you know, getting into fights and bras and pulling out guns on other people right mm-hmm. afterwards. And so, um, and so he, Initially, I remember thinking, this guy just doesn't get it. And I said, like, oh, no, this is, this is just who he's, what he's made of. Mm-hmm. And we actually have a live version of someone that we might have fictionalized in the past. But here he is. He thinks that he had a right to shoot that boy. He did not. He thought he had a right to, to pull a gun on his girlfriend and, and do some other things and threaten other people's lives. He didn't. But he believed that because that's what he, I believe what he had been fed all his life. Right, right. That this is what men do, and I'm a man. And he's, you know, violence is the lingua franca in the U.S. It just permeates all parts of our society, and it makes yeah. me makes me wonder how how you can pull back from that, how you can pull back from that, um, how how you can find a center or become a better human being in a culture that really doesn't nurture you. So I think one of the ways so I would have a direct response to that. I don't necessarily I don't know that it's uh, an answer in in every instance, but it, mm-hmm. it directly relates to what I was saying, uh, and I think it it connects with exactly your point, 
which is that so you know you're talking about the you know so the 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 black NGOs and and black groups in the 90s that were advocating for more aggressive policing in some of these communities to help bring down the crime rates. I mean, this is connected to like the Clinton administration and right. all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And and those were good faith efforts. And they went too far, right? I mean, so it's but what we do now, right? What we do now um, amongst certainly amongst people in in my in my tribe, right? And maybe people in your tribe I and mean, people, you know, of a certain type of disposition and class and education level mm-hmm. is there's a way in which it we want to flatten out the discourse. And so that like, you know, again, I, I use this handy, mm-hmm. you know, fuck the police like mm-hmm. the 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 intractable racism of cops or something like that mm-hmm. or or on the other side um you know just the the total ignorance of the left about human nature you know this like blue lives matter and like how police are like every cop is like a you know an altruistic hero on the line or something like that when they just mm-hmm. like want to get home to dinner and you know like their kids or whatever so right. but but th- there is a way in which there are lots of people, you know, in the Black Lives Matter movement, on the police force, in city governments, in these communities mm-hmm. that are actually interested in common sense, good faith efforts mm-hmm. to improve the lives of the people in their communities and the people in the communities that they serve. Absolutely. And, and yeah, no, I, I, you, I know, mm-hmm. I mean, you and I have had some some good conversations around this, like, but I feel like that voice of reason is precisely what is missing amongst progressives, amongst Mm. us, like the people like I want there to be. I still believe that there are there's great unfinished works to be done in our culture around race. There are a lot of there's a lot of poisonous vegetation in that jungle that needs to be Mm. like like pulled up by the roots. Mm-hmm. I believe that. And I believe that the tools that we are currently deploying are completely ill-suited to the task. And that mm-hmm. so like when you said like you you just want you need you you're ask you're inviting the you know these 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 uh, you want you know more protection, less crime in these neighborhoods and then what causes that to happen is the presence of more white people. And then you get kind of all this racial profiling. That's Absolutely. a serious, that's a serious problem. That's a real problem. That, that is real. That's happening. Right. Oh, go ahead. No, you look like you're about to say something. Go oh, ahead, the, jump in. The, just very quickly. Cause I know we're coming up on the end. And one thing is that there also needs to be an equilateral look at crime. So whether it's actual mm-hmm. physical crime or if it's corporate crime, these mm-hmm. things should matter and hold equal weight. Obviously, mm-hmm. they don't. So even when people say we need heavy policing in the area of these dangerous neighborhoods, how about corporate America? I mean, that needs obviously needs to happen as well. And so as long as we have these the, the, um, the disenfranchised looking at so many people get away with so many things on the nightly news. It, it's very, very disempowering. And the so fl- let me, yeah. Mm-hmm. So let me let me ask you a question, and I'll actually still give you the last word. But oh, thanks. Do you do you actually? And and so as much as I I hear as much as it's it's abundantly clear post financial crisis post I mean p- pick any period of American history mm-hmm. that people with money and status and power do not 
pay the piper in the same way that people without money and status and power do. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you do you really believe that for most human beings living in America that the urgency would be felt to to prosecute corporate crimes over violent crimes? Like if I if it came down to it, right, if if there were two, if there were there was one cop. Right. Mm -hmm. In the whole world. And that one cop could go stop like robberies and murders or that one cop could go stop, Mm -hmm. you know, greedy assholes from, you know, taking more money. I would put that one cop on on murders and and violence. So I I think there. Go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. (laughs) You jump in, jump in. I'll give you the last word. It's an impossible question. Of course it is. It's impossible. (laughs) And that's the funny thing about it, because I think that that earlier on when you were talking about the sort of flattening of the dialogue and the discourse around um, violence, and we can just parse it from there, is mm-hmm. that it um, it doesn't lend itself to easy dialogue. But what I do think is useful about flattening the dialogue and people saying fuck the police or whatever is because of this notion of the resistance and identifying the problems. And so that's one step. But the issue is because it does the conversation has become more complex because people don't take those that moment and -hmm. develop it and grow it and live with it and think Mm -hmm. about it and think about it not only for what's good for them or their community, but for everyone. And Mm -hmm. so I do think that that cop that you're talking about, um, (laughs) the one super cop, that the one super cop, the Superman, (laughs) Oh goodness, the hero myth. And so it's, I don't want to be, be I don't want to be in murders, but also don't want poison food. That's what yeah, I'll say, yeah, 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 <laughs> you yeah, know, fair. and regulations. Was, yeah. I mean, it it was a silly question. I mean, it's it's a it it is itself a flat question. So I, I definitely mm-hmm. concede that. The uh, the I the only reason the only reason I offered it was because I do I I see them as two different tracks, right? I see. Mm-hmm. I see the need to protect and police the mass accumulation of greed oh, yeah. as different than the need to dial back the chance that you're going to get shot by an AR-15. Like, I just, I don't see them. I don't want to intersect. Uh, personally, I don't want to intersect those two things, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even though I, I understand that, that you know, the, the issue of hypocrisy is, is a real one. Yeah, and I also feel like they're 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 intertwined with all these other elements as well. So mm-hmm. that there's not one or the other for me. It's all these other things because I feel like a stronger, more benevolent, actual government that lives mm-hmm. up to what it says rather than just mouths words would be mm-hmm. better for everyone. And it may reduce crime, and I think it probably would because people would mm-hmm. be a lot happier and maybe live. Right. So, so I, to to wrap up, I'll get. I, mm-hmm. I think I think Stephen's uh, last point is uh, is the the one to stick with that we just we want a government that is more invested in mm-hmm. doing what we have invested it to do, which is to serve the people and all of those people. Would you Would you basically uh, agree with that? Oh yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. yeah, absolutely. That would be yeah, lovely. That, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah that, that was a little bit of softball. But mm-hmm. uh, Stephen, thanks very much uh, for joining me on today's podcast. Uh, obviously, there's a lot to unpack and we barely scratched the surface, but uh, violence uh, doesn't appear to be going away in America and uh, there is not a simple uh, solution. It requires smart people and dedicated people and honest people um, trying to deal with the problem. So thanks very much for joining us today, and uh, we hope you'll listen next week. 